Can I speak first before this to the elephant in the room? Yes, thank you for saying yes. The elephant in the room is that we're all here and it's so odd and I feel actually unprepared in this moment for this, which is really weird. So I just want to say that. It's really wonderful and it's very bizarre to have a shield. And so there's emotionally uneasy things today and for us all, always. So, elephant exposed. All right, well. Some of you know Henry Ford was a guy who was a part of the Industrial Revolution, and in particular developing the, um, oh, what is it? See, I'm emotionally unprepared. The assembly line, the assembly line. And of course, Henry Ford was motivated. What he wanted was to produce an inexpensive car that would be available to the masses. And his hope was that if the masses could afford it, he would do really, really well. So that was his business plan. And so um, the assembly line was key to that. And you probably already know this, but the assembly line, there's this little track that took the car down the way. And when before this, to assemble a car took 12 and a half hours to assemble a car. And when they put it on this track and ran it down, and each person would just stand and put on their particular part, and then it'd go down, and the next person would just put their part on. You know, you get the idea of an assembly line. And that process only took one hour and 33 minutes to assemble a car. So that was a big step for Henry Ford in producing an inexpensive car. But, um, and he did produce 15 million Model Ts. That's a lot. So he probably made a lot of money. But um, what he solved with the assembly line in making this efficient, he then totally lost out on in the employees. And Henry Ford once said, why do I have to have the whole person when all I want is their hands? Why do I have to have that whole person when all I need is their hands? And so here's the situation. Every year, um, Henry Ford would have 100 people on the assembly line assembling their parts. But for that 100 people on the job line, in, in a year, it took 300 people. He had to hire constantly to replace for the people that just would give up because they couldn't do it or didn't want to do it. And so Henry Ford tried a lot of things to solve this. First, he tried to get involved in people's lives, like, you know, your family is sick or something, and it's taking you away from work. But all the things he tried did not work until he raised his wages from $2.34 a day to $5 a day, doubling the daily rate. And by doing that, he was able then to keep employees because now it was worth their time to be there to help him out in his vision of creating these cars. I don't think Henry Ford is the first person to ever think, ooh, why do I have to have the whole person when all I want is their hands? Because we were talking about the two sons and the prodigal God story. And these two sons, they just wanted their father's hands of what the father would give them. And they did not want the whole father. And so today I want to focus in on the sons being lost and how it is they get found. So to kick it off, what does lost mean? What does it mean to be lost? I mean, lost seems to be a problem. I mean, it's a trouble that you're in. 
But it's also possible that you don't even know you're lost. You're not aware of it. And as a result, you feel fine in your lost state. Well, in Luke chapter 15, Jesus gives a series of three parables. And in these three parables, there's a theme of lost and found. And here's how it begins for this chapter, the context of who Jesus is speaking to. Jesus said, now the tax collectors and sinners were all gathering around to hear Jesus. But the Pharisees and the teachers of the law muttered, this man welcomes sinners and eats with them. So there's two groups of people Jesus is speaking to, the sinners and tax collectors who are doing it all wrong and the religious people who are doing it all right, muttering about those who are doing it all wrong. And Jesus gives the first parable. He gives this parable about sheep. He says, hey, if you have a hundred sheep and one of them wanders off and gets lost, what do you do? Well, you, the shepherd, you go searching for that sheep. You leave the 99 behind to search for that one. And when you find it, you come back and you gather your friends and your neighbors, and you say, celebrate with me because this is awesome. I found my sheep. And Jesus gives this summary statement. I tell you that in the same way, there will be more rejoicing in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who do not need to repent. And Jesus gives another short parable about a woman who has 10 coins and then she loses one coin. And when she loses it, she searches the whole house. She sweeps the house. She looks carefully for the coin until she finds it. And when she finds it, she goes to all her friends and says, Come, celebrate with me, friends and neighbors, because I lo I've lost a coin and now i found it. And once again, in this developing pattern, Jesus gives a nice summary statement that begins, In the same way, I tell you, there is rejoicing in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner who repents. So we're seeing this little bit of a pattern develop in these parables Jesus is giving, that something is lost, someone is separated from their thing, there's some searching, and when it's found, friends and neighbors are gathered to celebrate. Finished up by Jesus giving the summary statement, in the same way. Heaven rejoices over one sinner who repents. So there's the pattern, and now we get to the third parable, which is the parable we've been talking about this month, the two lost sons. And here's how Jesus begins. It says, Jesus continued, There was a man who had two sons. The younger one said to his father, Father, give me my share of the estate. So he divided his property between them. And following, following that pattern of progression of how those other two parables went, we would expect somebody would now go searching for this lost son. This lost son who's now been separated from the family. And all the people in the crowd are thinking, yeah, this guy is lost. This is the definition of lost. Somebody being so arrogant to ask for his father's estate before he dies, 
It's like the son is saying, hey, dad, I, I really wish you were dead. And it seems like it's going to be a long time to wait for that to happen. I don't want any part of you or this family anymore. So can I just get my estate now and just go on with my life? And the people listening, I think the sinners and tax collectors are thinking to themselves, whew, we know that pain. And the religious people, <laughs> they're thinking, yes, this guy is bad. He is lost. This guy is terrible. He's disrespectful to his family, and he's disrespectful to his father. He goes off and does wild living. He is bad. He is lost. But Jesus, being the sneaky one that Jesus was, this was a trap. This was a trap. And why was it a trap? Because Jesus would expect them to think this man was lost. They would expect that. But Jesus turns the table. He flips the script. When instead, this man gets found. No one goes searching for him. He finds himself eating what the pigs eat and comes to the self-realization of, ah, my father's love. It's available. And so he goes back. And the even more audacious thing is that the father runs when he sees the younger son. He runs to him, puts his robe around him, a ring on his finger, rest restores him to the family. And all the religious people are like, wait a second, this guy's lost. Let's leave him lost. But Jesus is moving the story to found. And maybe lost was not about wild living. Maybe lost was more about being separated from the Father's love. We would expect Jesus to wrap up the story by saying, in the same way, one sinner who's lost is rejoiced in, in heaven. But Jesus doesn't. Instead, he continues with the lostness of the elder son, the older brother. And if you're familiar with the story, you know the elder brother is not lost. He's right at home. He's been at home. He's been doing everything right. He's been working hard. He's been faithful. He's been steady and reliable. He's not lost. He didn't go away and do wild living. But the, young, the elder brother was equally lost in that he only wanted his father's blessings from his hands and did not want his father either. We see this when the party's thrown for the younger brother and the elder brother will not go in. He is angry. He is mad. This is just ridiculous. This younger brother has gone off and he should have stayed away. Why are we celebrating him? He's angry. And it's revealing in his own heart his attitude of only wanting the father's stuff and not wanting the father. He had his own plan. As the eldest, he just had to wait it out until the father died, and then he got everything. It was just a matter of time before he'd be done with his father, he'd get everything. 
And now, this younger brother coming back reveals that in him as well. So what is lost? Lost is both sons wanting their father's blessings, but not wanting the father. Lost is being separated from the love of the father. I mean, you look at the father in this story. The father is just like lavishing love on the boys all the time. I mean, it's ridiculous that the son comes, hey, dad, I want your stuff and give me my inheritance now. And the father just says, okay, and does it. It's ridiculous that when the younger son blows it all and comes back, that the father welcomes him back with love and acceptance and full restoration. And it's ridiculous that the elder brother's angry, won't go into the party, and the father, once again, just disrespecting himself, leaves the party in order to go out and plead with the son to come back in. The father is just showing this love that's available, that he just wants to be with his boys. This is the same invitation for us. When we come to this parable, Jesus abruptly ends the story. He doesn't ever give the in the same way summary statement. Instead, for this parable, Jesus just stops with the father outside pleading and inviting the elder brother to come in. And this, it stops. And we are left wondering, what, what did he do? Did he change his mind? Did he go walk out and go the other way? And by it being a sudden stop and an unended story, it also is this invitation into our lives. What would I do? Where am I at? And the parable asks us, where are you? Are you just looking to God as this provider of blessings? Like looking to God to take care of me God, fix this problem. God, I need this. Where are you? Or are we looking to God from this place of being lost because we are separated from his love and wanting to be back together with God, experiencing his love? Jesus ends that story. The sun is outside. The father goes to get him, and we are left with the question, will I go into the party? Do I want God, or do I want God's hands? Henry Nouwen wrote a short book called The Life of the Beloved, using this parable as the map. And in it, Henry Nouwen says that the book or the parable is about daily accepting the invitation to come into the party. Daily accepting the greatest truth in the whole world that you are God's beloved, precious in his sight. And even when we hear that, we're like, oh, yeah, 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 God is, we're precious, but I got these things to do. Or, God, did you notice all this? Or, oh, all this stuff that I've done in the past, that can't get over that. That's getting in the way. When we hear this, 
the invitation is to come into the party, to be with God and to experience God's lavishing love on us. Now in writes this, becoming the beloved means letting the truth of our belovedness become enfleshed in everything we think, say, or do. Becoming the beloved is pulling the truth revealed to me from above down into the ordinariness of what I am, am in fact thinking of, talking about, and doing from hour to hour. We are God's beloved, and every day is a process of resisting all the other competing things in order to bring it back to this place. I am God's beloved. That defines me. That is who I am. That is what I receive from God, and then it overflows to me out to the world. Now and gives three guides to help us in this daily accepting of the invitation. And the first thing he says is simply believe. To believe that you are God's beloved. There's all kinds of lies coming at you from the world around of who you are, what you need to do, or this or that. But we need to come back constantly, daily, to the fact that God loves us, accepts us right where we're at. Whether you are a sinner or whether you are a high producer doing everything right, God just wants to be with you. He wants to let you know that you are precious in his eyes and beloved from all eternity. And you are held safe. No matter what the circumstances in your life, you are held safe by God. So the first, <laughs> not a very easy thing, but a daily practice of believing I am God's beloved and receiving that. And second, now it says that we need to be reminded says that we need to put ourselves in places and with people that will speak this truth into our lives, that will remind us that we are God's beloved. And that is exactly what happens here. Church is this place where we simply remind each other, you are God's beloved, you are God's beloved, we are God's beloved. Together we're in this world, beloved by God and now giving out that love that we've received. And third, Noun says, we need to celebrate. Celebrate being God's beloved simply by saying thank you. Saying thank you to God. And, and as we don't believe it, it's hard to believe we are God's beloved to say simply, God, thank you that I'm your beloved. And when someone says something to you to encourage you that you are God's beloved, to say thank you to them to appreciate it, to receive it in to the depth of who you are. Now it says that the grati gratitude is the most fruitful way of deepening your consciousness that you are not an accident, but a divine choice. Friends, today you are the beloved. God loves you right where you're at, this moment, wanting 
to lavish on you his love. That may or may not change the circumstances you are in, but essentially it'll change everything about the circumstances you are in. God simply wants to be with us, to enjoy us as we are, and for us to enjoy God as he is. We are about to come to the table of communion, and in the sacrament of communion, we are reminded that we are God's beloved, that Jesus did this incredible act of giving his life so that we could be brought into the family and and restored to this place of being beloved with no need to wonder or have any guilt or shame, but instead to have a confident place of, I belong in the family of God. And so when somebody breaks off a piece of bread and offers it to you and says, the body of Christ broken for you, it's speaking this word of life that you are God's beloved, reminding you of that. When you're offered the the wine and it's the blood of Christ shed for you, it's the reminder that God will go to any length just to have you and be with you. And from that place and receiving that nourishment of love, we go out and live our lives with God. Before you come to the table this morning, I invite you, and you can or cannot do this, it's up to you, but I invite you to stand and to simply, in your mind or with your mouth, say, I am God's beloved. You could even say, I am your beloved. And you might need to say that five times before you come to the table to let it sink deeply in. Or you might need to say that 50 times before you come to the table. And in the really tough cases, you might need to say that 500 times before it truly sinks in that you are God's beloved. And to receive that deeply and let God meet you right there. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, open our hearts to you. Push away all the distractions, the messages, the lies that get in the way of us knowing from the top of our head to the tips of our toes that we are your beloved and you want to be with us. Ingrain it in us nourish us with your love, and send us out as your lights of love to this world. Pray this in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.